I really want to share my heart with you this morning. Does that sound intense? Right? Let me try it a different way. I really wish I already this morning. That's a whole different thing, right? Let's try this. I want to share my heart with you right now. Well, that's a whole different thing. We don't want to do that. Regardless of the way it's said, there's something about sharing our heart with another human being that whether we're scared by it, intimidated by it, want to run from it, whatever, we kind of can't help but lean in, right? And of all the things we know about Jesus, all the details we have about his birth and the very little details we have about most of his life, but then all the details we have about three years, three and a half years of his earthly ministry, and then a lot of details that we have about his death, and then mercifully a lot of the details we have about his resurrection. Among all of that, through all the gospel writers, all of the gospel of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, 89 chapters of scripture, there's only one time Jesus says, here's my heart. What we're going to do this morning and next week, this is really kind of one big run on sentence uh, this week and next week, a little two week series. It's really one sermon broken up into two weeks for your sake. <laughs> I want us to lean in and hear the heart of Jesus. For the next couple of weeks. So grab your Bible if you would this morning. Um, we have a tradition here where we say a creed about this book before we jump in. And so uh, for everybody that this resonates with, I'm going to ask you, would you hold up your Bibles? And would you, we say this together with some conviction and passion this morning? The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. As you're turning to Matthew chapter 11, I want to, I want to give a little bit of a shout out to an author named Dane Ortland, his book, Gentle and Lowly. We'll talk more about that book next week, but, um, he wrote a book that was inspired by this text. The, the first little portion of that book kind of exegeted this text. I started reading it. Um, I guess late spring and uh, really spoke to my heart. Like I said, we'll talk more about that book next week, but it, it got me to jump into this passage with a new set of lenses. And, um, and so publicly, I want to honor him for his influence in my heart and hopefully uh, to, his influence will spill over into drawing us together to hear the heart of Jesus. We're just going to look at three verses for the next two weeks, verses 28 through 30 of Matthew chapter 11. It starts this way, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's really the no pun intended, the heart of this two-week series is that part of the text. Even though we won't really get to it much this week. you got to come back next week to really get to that part. 
I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest. There's that promise again for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I want us to look beginning in verse number 28 this morning. Really the most of our time is going to be spent just unpacking this one verse. Verse number 28. And I want us to look again at the first word of this text. The word come. This is one of those exclamatory, Lance is laughing right now. So I was telling one of my best friends, he's a pastor, yesterday I was telling him about this sermon and I said, it's an expletive. Wait, that didn't sound right. You know, it's exclamatory. Jesus did not drop an expletive in this text. Um, This is exclamatory, totally different thing. This is... This is Jesus going, hey. So I wish really bad I knew how to do one of those really loud whistles. Like this or like this or like that. Like people do all these. I've had so many different people try to teach me how to do that and I just can't figure it out. Like I think it's because my nose is too big. I, I like I can't. I can't get that to work for me. Like if you know how to do that, I'm, I'm jealous of you a little bit. This is Jesus doing that obnoxious whistle. This is texting in all caps. Right? Like, why are you yelling at me? Come to me. So, when you are meeting a friend for lunch at a restaurant, and you show up before them, and the hostess seats you before them, and you're kind of watching for them to show up, and they walk in the door and you see them, you have two options. You can play it cool. Or you can try to embarrass them. You know what I'm talking about? So to, to play it cool, you're kind of pulling the Matthew McConaughey. You're slouched. You just give the the head nod and the smirk, right? You're, you're, I'm keeping it cool, right? But if you're really friends, like dude friends, I'm going to embarrass you. I'm not playing Matthew McConaughey. I'm straight Forrest Gump on the boat. Right? We're over here. He's like, dude, I know you're seated next to the hostess stand. No, right here. Hey. That's what a good friend does, right? This is Jesus full-blown making a scene to invite us to himself. <laughs> like... <laughs> I came here to tell somebody today, Jesus is giddy to welcome you to himself. (laughs) Like undignified, almost embarrassing, pulling a Forrest Gump to welcome us to himself. This is Jesus blowing the air horn, shooting off the little confetti. Making a scene to welcome us to himself. And here's why I think that's so amazing. In that book, Gentle and Lowly, Dan Ortland drew out how we tend to project what we've experienced in life onto Jesus. Usually subconsciously, usually subtly. But what we've experienced in life is the bigger of a deal a person is, the more they keep it cool with you. Right? 
the, the way we've experienced life is the more special a person is, whatever that means, the more of a celebrity a person is, the less approachable they are. That the wealthier a person is, the more they look down on those who are poor. The more beautiful a person is, the more they look down those on who aren't as beautiful as them. And with quoting Ortland here, he says, without realizing it, what we're doing is we quietly assume that one so high and exalted has the same difficulty drawing near to the despicable and the unclean. Sure, Jesus comes to us, but we feel like he holds his nose. And what's behind this word is the heart of Jesus that never holds his nose. (laughs) He's never pandering to us. All right, come on. You again? That might be how we are with one another, and it might be how we are with ourselves. That is not the heart of Jesus. He invites us to himself. He welcomes us to himself. And maybe we feel like Jesus treats us the way other people treat us or the way we treat ourselves. Or maybe that's what we've experienced in the body of Christ. I was reminded of something I saw about a year ago. About a year ago, uh, one of my good friends, Brian Powers, calls me and he says, dude, we got to get out of the Metroplex. This is crazy and chaos and whatever. Let's go to Broken Bow and go kayaking. And I'm like, absolutely, let's go. And so we drove up to Broken Bow uh, with no middle schoolers with us. And we, sorry, sorry, I love you. Um, we took our students uh our, te- our middle school and high school students to Broken Bow a few weeks ago. And it reminded me of this story that we're up there and, and we're kayaking. It was a beautiful day and it was a great time. And we kind of came through the rapids part of stuff. We went down the little waterfall, if you've done the, the Fork River up there in Broken Bow. And we got to kind of the simple part of, of the kayaking trip. And as we're kind of coming out of the the rougher part and into the smoother part, all of a sudden I see this really well-maintained ramp area. Nice gravel, it's cleared, and there's a yellow like construction sign on it. And it stood out to me because there's no homes in the beginning part of of the Fork River. I mean, when when you get on the water, you're you're in the middle of nowhere, you know? And so seeing this yellow construction sign just stood out to me. And so because I'm blind as a bat, uh, I had to like go way over there and get really close to it to see what it said. And I row over there and this, this is the sign. I have a picture of the sign. Private landing, no public access. But it's so weird because it's this bright yellow sign and it's it's in the shade in this picture. So you can't really tell how oddly this yellow sign stands out in the middle of nature. It's welcoming. <laughs> like it calls for your attention to say, look away. <laughs> like, hey, hey, come here, go away. And, and I row over to it and and I couldn't help but have the thought. So when you... When you're a preacher, right, when when you preach to the same faces 45 Sundays out of a year, you're always looking for fresh ways to say the same thing over and over again, the story of Jesus. And it just hit me, that's a good sermon illustration. 
Because that's what a lot of people have experienced in church. The doors are propped open. We have fresh brewed coffee, but you need to get your act together first. Some of, us, some of us have experienced that maybe from more spiritual family members than us. They're like, mm, I mean, like, you're welcome here, but not really. And I'm just so glad that's not the heart of Jesus. <laughs> I'm just so glad that's not the heart of the Savior. As he's busy making a scene to do the opposite. Everybody over here, come to me. Come to me. Now, we keep moving forward in the text. So that's just the first word of the text. Don't worry, we won't spend that much time on every single word. Come to me all. Ah, thank goodness. Because if there was any kind of like, mm, only the special people, right? Then that's more like that sign in Broken Bow. Come to me all. And then in case all is too generic or in case we're afraid all doesn't apply to us, he gives some clarification. All who labor and are heavy laden. It's so important that we understand these two words this morning, that we hear them in order to hear the heart of Jesus. And specifically, the first word is difficult for us to understand because as like red-blooded Americans who are mostly middle class as a congregation, uh, blue-collar type of workers, right, we value the word labor. For us, labor is like, yeah, you labor and you're going to get it done and you're going to have yourself a nice truck and yeah, like that's our mentality. This is, what? I don't know, truck. Um. That is not the context of labor here. This isn't meant in like the positive, we should all labor to put food on our table. It's important that we understand. This is more like, this is more like giving birth. They call that labor when a woman is on death's door. Right? Like the closest a human being can be to death is a woman giving labor. So I'm told. Right? That's this version. This is not just the I clocked in and did my best. It's actually the word, the best translation for this word is the word exhausted. Empty, depleted, nothing left in the tank. It's, it's the word fatigued. Here's what I think is the best translation for this word labor here. It's the word weary. Just weary. And over the last 18 months, the word I've heard used most by people I care about talking about how they feel is actually the word weary. The more I studied this word, the more I felt like it resonated with the people closest to me in my life. Jesus' obnoxious invitation is to anybody who feels weary. Worn out, running on fumes. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. This one is a better picture and, and easier to understand what's meant here. It's the idea of being burdened, weighted down, like stuff's just heavy, right? It, it's not so much being weary, it's being weighed down. It's carrying too much. It's what we'll discuss next week, carrying stuff that actually doesn't belong for us. 
carrying stuff that wasn't made for our shoulders. Jesus' beautiful, open invitation is to everyone who's weary and weighed down. Everybody who's running on empty and feeling a burden on their shoulders. And when I talk to people about the true expletive, COVID-19, they're just weary. When I talk to people about the political division in our country, I watch a physical response. If politics come up, I watch body language go, yeah. When we discuss the almost impossibility of navigating racial tension in our culture, when we look at the instability of our economy right now, I'll be honest with you, I don't know that there's anything heavier going on right now anywhere in the world than what we see happening in Afghanistan. It's just heavy. And when I look to my right and my left, I see people I really care about right now that are just exhausted. Like I feel like collectively, I feel like collectively the people around me kind of have our hands on our knees. We're like, can we please have a minute? (laughs) Right? And here's the beauty of this. That's literally what qualifies us to be invited into the presence of the Son of God. We don't have to unburden ourselves, Ortland says, or collect ourselves and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is the thing that qualifies you to come. Here's the problem. I think it's that weariness and that burden and maybe the way we've medicated it that makes us feel like we're not invited. Here's what I mean. Have you watched any of those viral videos online of people who fell asleep and then somebody pranked them? Like they fell asleep in the car and so they screamed and slammed on the brakes and honked the horn. Or they fell asleep with their mouth hanging open and so they're like sticking Cheetos in their mouth while they're asleep. Have you seen these videos? I love it. It's great. Totally something me and my brothers would have done. Or they put shaving cream in their hand and then take a feather and hit their nose. Yeah, that's greatness, man. That that is that's good, right? They're so sleepy. But let's be honest, most of them are passed out, right? But whatever. Um, They're so weary, they got pranked. Listen to me, church. I think some of us are so weary and burdened down that the enemy is punking you and telling you that that weariness and that depletion and that exhaustion is what disqualifies you from being welcomed into the presence of Jesus. And he is a liar. It's the very thing that qualifies you to enter his presence. The father of lies is so good at lying that he's telling you the thing that is your entrance is the thing that is your eviction. He's a liar. Your burden is your ticket in the gate. 
So sometimes you get invited. So we got invited to a quinceañera a couple weeks ago that was beautiful. And it was like, it was one of those you better put on a nice outfit for, right? There's times I've been invited to black tie only events, right? You're like, I got to rent clothes. Like nothing I own is good enough to come to your thing, (laughs) you know? And that's the exact opposite of the invitation of Jesus to come. Like, like the bouncer who's working the gate for us to come to Jesus is like, nah, you look too put together. Come back when you're weary. How good is that? And we come up with the bags under our eyes and our hair disheveled with like a blanket over us and a half consumed cup of coffee that's grown cold. And he's like, this is for you. Let me open the rope and invite you in. Come to me, all who are exhausted and feeling heavy and weighed down. And I will give you rest. One of the most beautiful words in this text is not just the invitation to come. And it's just not the open door of because you're broken. It's the promise that he will give. Not we have to earn. It's not a transaction. Not we have to work for, right? You're exhausted, come work for me. That's religion. That's not the heart of Jesus. That's the law. That's not the heart of Jesus. He's like, man, you got nothing to give me? Sweet. I don't want anything from you. But let me tell you what I want for you. Rest. (laughs) That's the heart of Jesus. I will give you rest. Brennan Manning says, God loves you as you are and not as you should be because nobody is as they should be. So Dane Ortland wrote this book that I've talked about that we'll talk more about next week. Well, his brother is also a pastor. Their father was a pastor. Ray Ortland is this pastor, and he said this about Jesus. And I've never heard this before, and I'm like, man, I want to get this in the long-term memory thing because I want this to become one of those bumper stickers I say all the time. This is what he said. You listening? Jesus is rich in grace, and he's a big spender. Isn't that good? Oh, come on, y'all. That's good. That's like, that's like stick that on your car. Some of you got a new Facebook profile today. Like, that's good. Jesus is rich in grace and he's a big spender. Every married couple in here, one of y'all is the spender, right? Come on. And that's the heart of Jesus. He's just like, let's go. Jesus, what about rent? No, I got grace for days. Let's go. He's rich in grace. He's inviting us not to earn something or to be worthy of something, to give us rest. Now, if you're new to the Bible or new to the things of the Bible, I'm always hesitant to talk about the original language because some people think you have to like have a degree to understand the scriptures, and that's not true. But this is one of those moments. So, The word give is not actually in the original text. 
the text is one word. I will give you rest is one word. And it's the idea of rest being so conveyed authoritatively that the best translation for this would be, I will rest you. <laughs> like I will, I will force rest upon you. <laughs> I will take your weariness. I will take your weightedness. And I'm just going to rest you. Isn't that good? That's the heart of Jesus. I will give you rest. Now, I think it is important to see what kind of rest it is. And so we're going to peek into verse number 29 for just a second this morning. Verse 29, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, which we'll look at more next week. But I love this. And learn from me. We'll talk more about that in a minute. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. What kind of rest, Jesus? Rest for your souls. Six or eight months ago, I gave you a definition for soul. And I don't know if anybody in the room remembers it or not, but I told you your soul is the youest you there is. It's the true you. It's everything real about you. Jesus says, I'm not giving you surface rest. I'm not necessarily giving you situational rest. I'm not even giving you sleepy rest. I got something better than that. I have soul rest for you. If you'll just come. Rest for our souls. And here's the problem. Most of what's most broken and, and what harms us the most in our world is us trying to heal soul rest with surface solutions. Instead of seeking soul rest, we're trying to numb ourselves or escape something. And Jesus offers us real rest. And for most of us, our weariness is soul deep. We're soul weary. That's why we need soul rest. Some of us think right now, when we feel exhausted, when we feel that we are labored and heavy laden, when, when we feel depleted and burdened, we think we're physically weary only. Sometimes we think, if I could just get a nap or a massage, I'll be better. Or both at the same time. <laughs> or maybe we think we're just mental weary. Like I just need a mental health day and I'll reset and everything will be fine. Or maybe we think we're emotionally weary and we just need to feel better. Which when we think we're emotional weary and just need to feel better, that's often when we begin to pursue a dopamine hit. There's something that's really harmful for us. Maybe we think we're relational weary and we just wish everybody would pretend that we get along. Because we're tired. And, and the beauty of the invitation of Jesus, the obnoxious, hyper, embarrassing invitation of Jesus, is not, I'll just give you physical rest. I won't just give you mental rest. I won't just give you emotional rest. I won't just give you relational rest. I'll give you E, all of the above. I'll give you soul rest for the whole you. If you just come to me, 
rest for our souls. And here's how we'll end our time together this morning. This is the, this is the most important thing to get clear in the text or else we dishonor the text. Ultimately, Jesus is inviting us not to a place or a setting or a situation. He is inviting us to himself. Come to me, Jesus says. I will give you rest. Learn from me. Pastor H.B. Charles says, Jesus is the curriculum and the professor for rest. (laughs) He's inviting us to himself. St. Augustine said, you have formed us for yourself. And our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. He's inviting us to himself. And here's why. Because there's nothing else in all creation that can give us soul rest other than the one who formed our souls. And all this other stuff in life promises a rest it can't actually provide. It's why we feel like we're on the hamster wheel. It's why we feel like we're never really renewed. It's why we feel like we're we're putting everything that we possibly can into this deal. And we just constantly feel depleted. It's because I think we're looking somewhere other than the maker of our souls to give rest to our souls. It's why you hear me say over and over again, only Jesus can satisfy the longings of the human heart. Because what we know is that what we need more than a day off, what we need more than a spa day, what we need more than a binge meal, is we need the heart of Jesus. Because ultimately, rest is not a circumstance or even a beautiful place. Rest is a person. His name's Jesus. And he says, come to me. Do you feel weighted down? Do you feel exhausted? Come to me and I'll give you rest. One of my favorite places on planet Earth is New York City. And if you go visit Rockefeller Center, you will see the statue of Atlas. Have you ever seen this? Atlas, formed by the gods, is supposed to be the perfect human. The perfect human specimen. That's why he's shaped like that. Right? It's supposed to be the perfect man. And so, as evangelicals, we're not big in the statues, right? But statues have been a part of human culture, both religious and non-religious for centuries. And, and so when the statue of Atlas was first created, he can't just have like muscles. We got a picture that the perfect man can bear the weight of the world on his shoulders. Isn't that something? He's holding the world. That's how perfect Atlas is. 
Here's the problem with that statue. What if we're not perfect? What if we're not built like that? Because you're not. <laughs> Ladies, don't nudge your husband. That's not nice. Don't poke his love handles. That's not nice. What happens for all of us non-Atlas people? If we pretend to be that, we end up exhausted and crushed by the very thing we're trying to uphold. What Jesus is saying is, I've got a better alternative. Because if we go north out of Rockefeller Center, we walk down 50th, a half a block. We don't even have to go a whole block. You'll run into St. Patrick's Cathedral. And there's another statue in St. Patrick's Cathedral. It's supposed to be a statue of young Jesus. And I love that young Jesus is giving us the peace sign. I don't think that's what that's supposed to be. <laughs> Sorry, if that was offensive to you, if that is an important uh, hallmark of your faith, I, I apologize. Um, I don't know what that is. But anyways, um, all those old statues of God, he's always like, what's up? Anyways, that's supposed to be young Jesus. Like, not full-grown Jesus. Like, are we allowed to say this? Pre-puberty Jesus? Like, he doesn't even have muscle mass yet. And do you know what that is in his hand? It's the world. <laughs> so the greatest human being we can imagine and craft in our own imaginations has the world on his shoulders. But little elementary age Jesus is like, how cool is that? And by the way, as cool as that is, no offense, St. Patrick's Cathedral, you got it wrong. The writer of Hebrews actually says that he upholds the universe, not just the, the world, by the word of his power. He don't even have to do this. That's the authority, the strength, and the power for all of us non-Atlas people to be able to come to him and say, good grief, you can surely carry what I can't. That thing that's crushing me isn't like a pinky lift for you. Right? Because unlike Atlas, the perfect person of our imagination, Jesus is the perfect incarnation of God himself. And he openly invites us to himself. Are you tired? Does life feel heavy? Jesus says, come. I want to show you my heart. Which we'll explore more deeply next Sunday. In the meantime, I want to say two things. The invitation of Jesus demands a response. Right? I don't know if you know this, but to get a special invitation from someone and not RSVP, it's kind of disrespectful, right? We wouldn't do a friend that way. It demands a response. This morning, the invitation of Jesus is worthy of a response. 
And I would say that response is in one of two things. Do you know for sure you've ever come to him and been born again? Do you know for sure you've ever brought him your heaviest burden, which is, you know what? Your imperfection. Our falling short, our sin. And say, Jesus, I can't be as perfect as you. Will you save me? And if you don't know for sure that you've done that, then if you're worshiping online with us, we encourage you, text pray FW to 94,000 right now and say, I need to come to Jesus. If you're in the room in just a moment, we're going to sing a song about the invitation of God to himself. And while we're singing that song, there will be some men and women in the prayer room in the back. We'd love to have a conversation with you about how you can come to him. The second response is this. If you've received the invitation to come, then here's what he invites you to do this morning. You ready? Keep coming to him. Commune with him. Because I don't know about you, every time I lay a burden down at his feet, man, I pick that thing up again so fast. I mean, he didn't even have time to settle. It's like rolling around at his feet, hadn't gathered dust, I pick the thing back up again. And I just want you to know that to run to him one more time isn't going to get on his nerves. No, he's giddy to invite you all over again to himself this morning.